Well, hello and welcome everybody to Connect Church Online. It is such a pleasure to be with you. And from my side, I just want to say a very big Happy New Year. I pray that it has been an amazing season for you, a time of rest, a time of friends and family. And uh, I really do pray for all of us that we would know increased intimacy with the Lord as we go into 2022 and that your knowledge of his word and of his love for you would grow. I pray for your families, pray for us as a church, that we would grow in the knowledge of the love of the Lord for us and that we would find favor with him this year. If you're with us for the first time, uh, we started a new series last week. We started the year off the series on prayer called When God's People Pray. And last week there was a message on Abraham's prayer, talking to God when he found out about what God had planned for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we started this series because at the end of this month, we're going to move into a time of prayer and fasting for us as a church. And we invite you to join us. We're excited about it. And this series has taken us all the way up until that point and uh, really praying that it would stir up our hearts and, and get us excited for prayer again. So last week was Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah talking to God. This week, it's Gethsemane and Jesus and his prayer in Gethsemane. And really what this is, is it's a prayer in the face of incredible suffering and hard times. We learn from Jesus what it means to pray in the face of incredible pain and heartache. We learn some principles from Jesus here, our perfect model. that should get us excited about prayer, even in the midst of difficult times. And I pray as we go into this message that you'd be blessed and that you'd be encouraged, that you'd be challenged and that your perspective on prayer would be shaped, especially prayer when it comes to prayer in difficult times. So just a bit of a... Uh, introduction and a bit of background to this text, uh, we find ourselves right at the end of the life of Jesus. Just before the text that we're going to read, Jesus has been anointed by a woman with some very expensive perfume and it was a symbolic act of anointing his body for burial. Judas, one of the 12, one of the closest to Jesus, has gone off and has gone to go betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's going on in the background. Jesus has had his last supper with his disciples where he broke bread with them, symbolizing his body being broken and drank wine with them and passed that around and said, this wine is my blood that's going to be spilt for you. None of them really understood it, but Jesus understood. And so he knows he's going into his final moments of life. And then just before the section we're going to read, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and he's speaking to them and telling them that they are going to fulfill prophecy. The prophecy that said the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And so Jesus says this to them with deep concern in his heart for them. And they emphatically say to him, Jesus, we're going to stay with you no matter what, even if it means death. But we all know what happened. And so this is what's going on in the life of Jesus. We cannot really begin to comprehend the depth of the pain and the anguish and the hurt and the gravity of the situation that Jesus is faced with at this moment. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to die an excruciatingly painful death. Crucifixion was one of the worst ways to die and so incredibly painful. Sometimes it took people days to die via crucifixion. But not only is Jesus face to face with the pain of the physical suffering he's going to experience, but also with the knowledge that he will take upon himself the sin of the world and the weight of the world when it comes to their sin. One of his closest companions 
has deserted him and has gone to go call some soldiers. He's carrying concern for all of his disciples. And so Jesus, it is safe to say, is experiencing incredibly difficult times and is face to face with some severe suffering. Yet we see from Jesus and what he models for us is that in this time, in the face of incredible suffering, he chooses to prioritize prayer. Jesus doesn't shy away from prayer. He goes straight to the feet of the Father. Jesus was someone who prayed all the time. He wasn't like we can be sometimes where we know suffering increases our prayer life. There's that saying that says nothing increases prayer life faster than big trouble. Jesus prayed all the time. Jesus loved prayer. Most of his prayer was in joy and delight before the Father, asking the Lord, asking the Father for more so he could do more to bring the kingdom and to see people come into salvation. But now Jesus is face to face with one of the most difficult seasons of his life here on earth. And he chooses to prioritize prayer. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't run away. He doesn't get angry with God. He goes straight to the feet of his father. So let's read and I'll tell you how we're going to break this message up after we finished this passage of scripture. We're reading from the book of Mark chapter 14 verse 32 to 39. The text will come up on your screen. As they went to a place called Gethsemane and as he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Now, there's so many things that we could pull out from these passages of Scripture, these verses of Scripture. But the four things, the four points that came to me as I was praying about this was one, prayer and happiness don't always go together. Number two, we can come again and again to the feet of our Father in prayer in the midst of tough times. Number three, our prayer in the midst of tough times needs to be always, ultimately, God, your will be done. And number four, in the midst of tough and trying times, we must not fall asleep like the disciples did. So that's how we're going to break this message up. So let's dive straight into point number one. Prayer and happiness are not always united. It says from verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Church, Jesus is not in a happy place here. He says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. So as Jesus enters Gethsemane, this is not a season of celebration for him. As they walk further out into the garden, he begins to be so sorrowful that he is overwhelmed to the point of death. There's a translation called the HCSB. It's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And it translates this word distressed or troubled with the word horrified. And it's a more accurate interpretation of the original Greek word. Jesus becomes horrified as he considers the situation before him 
and the future that he has to face. In fact, his very words explain that to us. He says, I feel like I'm being swallowed up with grief, even to the point of death. Church, I understand that there are times when we feel like that. The times that you have been through that I can't relate to and cannot empathize with. There are things that many people have experienced that we never will that have just been absolutely terrible. Even as Christians, we go through deep, dark times. Jesus understands the depths of that darkness. Jesus understands how terrible it is to be face to face with suffering and heartache and pain like you have. He knows your heart. He knows your struggle. Luke, in his account of the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, helps us to understand just how severe the suffering was for Jesus and just how much he understands your pain. Luke says this, being in agony, speaking about Jesus, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus in this time is so greatly distressed because of what he knows he's going to face and what he's currently experiencing, that great beads of sweat like blood pouring out of a wound form on his head and fall to the ground. And one thing you need to understand is Jesus is not doing any physical exercise. He may have been walking, but this is at night. It's in the cool of the night in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's probably not running around. He's on the ground, lying down on his knees, praying. Yet because of the intensity and the anguish of the situation he finds himself in and the experiences he knows he's about to experience as morning dawns and he goes to be crucified. Because of that anguish, sweat starts pouring off of him like blood out of a wound. Jesus felt this emotional agony. He knows your pain. Jesus knew what was in store for him as he faced the cross. And he knows what's in store for you as you go through your suffering and as you deal with your pain. But Jesus sets an example for us in the midst of pain as we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to the feet of the Father and he prays. He understands how difficult that may be. But he models for you the only thing that is good and right for us to do in moments where we face suffering and have to face head on some of the most difficult times of our lives. Run to the feet of the Father. And really what I love about what Jesus is doing is he's showing us that this is a safe place. In the midst of heartache and pain, God is able to understand and he's able to meet our needs. Jesus knows that he can talk to the Father and he's not going to be shunned or turned away. But it's in that place where he is safe. I also love about the scripture that it absolutely destroys the false teaching out there from the health, wealth and prosperity movement that suggests that as a Christian, everything's going to be okay with you. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean that things are going to be easy and that this world is going to be a fantastically rosy life for all of us. We are going to have distress. There is going to be pain. There is going to be heartache, strain and anguish. Bad things will happen to Christians in this life. Life will throw all sorts of spanners into all the wheels of life that we are riding on and it will throw us all sorts of curveballs. As Christians, we don't have to pretend like everything is okay. Jesus certainly didn't. But when he begins to pray, I believe he puts himself in the place that is most perfect for him to be in, at the feet of his father. We don't have to pretend like our lives are perfect on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Jesus never said we need to tell the world that everything's going to be perfect in this life as we follow him. We are called to be at the feet of our father, calling people to see the beauty of relationship with him and the fact that we can have conversation with him even in the darkest times of our lives. And it's in that place and because of that ability that we're able to have hope despite what lies ahead of us. And we know that when this world ends, there is more to come and a hope and a glory that is ours that can't be explained with words as we enter into eternity. And there, there'll be no heartache, pain, anguish, or turmoil. So Jesus is suffering, church. But in his suffering and in his agony and in his distress, Jesus has faith. It's not that we're not going to have difficult times. And it's not that difficult times come because you have no faith. If that was true, Jesus then has no faith. And we know that that's impossible. Hard times come simply because life happens. But it's in those moments what we do that counts. What Jesus does in his time of agony is he goes to pray. In moments like this, as we choose to come to God in our most dark and most deep moments, God doesn't turn us away. He doesn't expect you to wash the tears away from your eyes and from your cheeks. He doesn't expect you to pretend like everything's okay. He expects you to come and to kneel at the foot of his throne and come to him honestly in prayer and speak your hearts to him, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he cares for you. That's the example that Jesus sets as he prays in Gethsemane face to face with suffering and anguish. When God's people pray in the midst of suffering, we are comforted, we are protected, and we align ourselves with the will of God. And we'll look at that just now as well. But point number two, point number one was prayer and happiness are not always aligned. Point number two, we can come to our Father over and over and over again. Listen to what it says in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. In verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Three times Jesus prays the same words over and over and over again to the Father. They may not have been eloquent. They may not have been increasingly more uh, complex and joyful. Yet he continues to pray. He returns and prays the same words over and over again. And I know that in my life, and I've gone through relatively difficult times and experienced tough things. In my grief, and I'm sure you can relate to this, in your grief, you don't really have new words to pray. Sometimes your words get fewer and fewer and less and less complex and eloquent. Sometimes your prayers are just reduced to moans and groans and tears falling to the floor. However, you see from God's example, from Jesus' example, that we can go over and over to the feet of our Father. And he doesn't wag a condescending finger at us or a finger that says, hey, get away from me. I've heard your prayers. Don't you think I've heard you? Why do you keep asking this of me? Why do you keep coming back to say the same things? Instead, he continues to listen. He continues to hear. Jesus knows the Father hears Jesus knows the Father cares, and so he feels the freedom to go over and over again with the same requests, the same petitions, knowing that there he is loved and that God is not going to chase him away and never tires from hearing his heart cry. 
What Jesus does condemn, and read about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. It's not going to come up on the screen. What Jesus does condemn is this vain, like mindless praying where it's just empty words that are being recited and we believe that somehow the words are going to do something magical in and of themselves. That's what Jesus condemns. But in contrast, Jesus encourages his disciples to persist in prayer, to keep coming to the, to, to the Father with their requests and their petitions, trusting that he hears, trusting that he's not going to chase them away. I really believe, church, that this example that we see of Jesus coming to the Father over and over again in the midst of trial is a challenge for us to fight for faith, to fight for faith in your heart and to continue to come before the Lord, continue to kneel despite how difficult it is. doesn't matter how many times you've gone before, keep going to the feet of the Father because although things might not seem like they're changing, constantly coming before the Father changes us. Our situation may not change, but it changes us. I believe that as Jesus went over and over to the will of the Father, to the feet of the Father, asking for the will of the Father to be done, something in his heart was strengthened, he was encouraged, and he was blessed, even in the midst of those very difficult and trying times. And even though his circumstances might not have changed, he knows that prayer is powerful And consistently pressing in was key to him overcoming and facing what he needed to face. I know for myself, and I I can assume it's true for you as well, that often our prayers in the midst of suffering feel weak. And so we don't want to pray them. We want to pray powerful, meaningful prayers that feel like they're doing something. But often prayers in the times of really difficult, trying times feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling uh, because the ceiling is made out of bronze and somehow God doesn't hear. And so we start to lose hope. I've started to lose hope in difficult times, church, to be honest. Our faith starts to waver. Our minds rush to all sorts of conclusions and outcomes. But I want to remind you, as I've learned, to cling to Jesus because he is faithful and to keep clinging to him. Pray the prayer that we see prayed in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. God, this is difficult, but I'm going to keep coming to you. And as my faith is challenged, help me to have more faith. In all of our suffering, Jesus will never let us go. Although your suffering is unbearable, and it seems as though it will never end, Jesus will never let you go. He will not turn you away, nor will he criticize or analyze or dissect your prayers. He will never condemn you for coming to him with an open heart, in prayer, in times of anguish, pain and suffering. We see this modeled by Jesus and we see the Father loving and accepting and caring for him. So keep on coming to the feet of the Father. Keep on kneeling. Keep on pleading. He sees your heart. He sees your circumstances. He hears your prayers. He hears each word and he cares for you. So pray, church, point number one, in the midst of really hard times because prayer and happiness are not always aligned. Keep on coming, point number two, to the feet of the Father. And as you keep on coming, point number three, remember the priority is to know the will of God and to have his will be done in our lives. Here's what it says in verse 34. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. 
Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Church, true disciples, true followers of Jesus have as their heart's desire that God's will be accomplished in their lives, regardless of the consequences. As I've gone to cum books and as I've searched articles online and as I've seen Christian literature be published and put out there, I've been amazed at how many books and articles have been written about how to overcome anger and disappointment with God. There have been copious amounts of books written about being angry and frustrated with God for things not turning out the way we prayed and we asked God to have them turn out. And I understand the times we've got to wrestle with disappointment, but it's almost as if contemporary Christianity has lost touch with the fact that he is God and that somehow being angry and disappointed with God doesn't really fit well with the kingdom agenda and with life in the kingdom. I think sometimes you need to be reminded of that. And I think so often personally in my life where I've been angry with God and I've been frustrated as I've looked back and as I've analyzed and as I've been disciplined and rebuked by the Lord and the spirit of work within me, I've realized that I've been angry and disappointed because I've prayed sinful and selfish prayers and expected God just to act as if he was some sort of vending machine that I pop my money into and expect the product to come out. Of course, we can bring our request before the Lord. Of course, we can speak to him. In fact, we should, as we've just seen in the last two points, we should pray when things are difficult. We should ask God for things, talk to him about what's in our hearts and do it over and over and over again. But as we come to him, we should know that as we ask and talk to God, that it is not my will or your will that is most important, but it is his will. It is most important to be accomplished. And sometimes the things we're asking for God, asking for from God may not be inherently bad, but God may just have something different planned. And his understanding is beyond our understanding. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. And we may see a good path and a good way to end things, but God sees differently to us and his will be done. In Jesus' prayer, we see this modeled. We see that Jesus is face to face with anguish and pain. We see him coming to the feet of the Father over and over again. But we also see Jesus asking God for stuff, but at the same time recognizing that the Father may not do what he's asking him to do because his will may be different. I don't believe that Jesus is angry with God or in any way disappointed with the Father, nor does he hold the Father hostage by threatening to quit and run away and take his own life. Jesus is also not saying he's unwilling to go to the cross as he prays these prayers in the midst of deep pain and anguish. Rather, Jesus is praying, Lord, this is hard. Father, if there, if there is another way, then have it be that way. But, however, regardless of my prayer, in all things, help me to endure keeping your will because your will is perfect and I desire your will to be done. And what we learn from Jesus in this time of prayer is that even in the midst of the worst possible situations of our lives, prayer in those times, prayer in the times that are most difficult for us is about aligning ourselves with a good father whose will is perfect for our lives. Prayer in the time of anguish is about aligning our lives to the will of the father. Jesus is in anguish 
over the cup of suffering he's about to drink from. His body and mind are screaming, no, I don't want this. Take it away from me. Take the pain. So he prays to God to strengthen him and asks the father, Lord, if there's another way, let it be. But God, I love you and your will be done. Just give me the strength to overcome and not to disappoint and to in every way please you. And so he relies on God to fulfill God's purposes for him. So point number one, church, pray in the midst of difficult and trying times. Prayer and happiness are not always aligned. Come constantly to the feet of the Father, point number two, over and over again, never giving up, never thinking that because you haven't got an answer or circumstances haven't changed that God doesn't hear. Realize, point number three, that as you pray in the midst of difficult times, it is the Lord's will that we need to be praying for to prevail, not our own. Point number four, let us remain awake. Let us remain awake. It says in verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In this moment of agony, Jesus returns to find his friends, his disciples sleeping. Often I think we can be so critical of the disciples in this moment, but, but just remember that it's the middle of the night. They've had a long day. They don't have cars. They've got horses and donkeys, but they walk everywhere they go. And even traveling on a donkey or a horse is tedious and tiring. It's not three o'clock in the afternoon, although, you know, having a siesta after lunch is a great idea. It's, it's not eight at night. It's probably around one or two in the morning. And furthermore, Jesus has been gone for a whole hour praying by himself and has left his disciples in the dark, in the garden, while they're tired. And so they fall asleep. So, so what does this mean for us? Well, often we cannot do things or we do things that aren't inherently sinful. But we fail to see the greater need for important things like prayer. Jesus' disciples were tired and their bodies needed rest. And so they fell asleep, which is not inherently sinful. They didn't end up praying, which is not inherently sinful. But Jesus comes and he really implores them to pray. And he says, sleep might be important, but right now the most important thing is prayer, but you're falling asleep. You think sleep is more important. Fight to stay awake. Fight to do the more important thing. Jesus says, you should have been watching. You should have been praying, but you're sleeping. And this really is a picture of us so often. And most certainly I can relate to this in my own life. I might not be doing something inherently sinful or bad, but at the same time, I lack understanding to know what's most important to be done at those times or in that time in my life. The disciples don't understand that the soldiers are about to come, that Jesus has been betrayed and that he'll be arrested in moments and the next day crucified in a most horrific way. They don't see the pressing need in that moment to fight, to stay awake and to do whatever it takes to stay awake. Walk around, run, do push-ups, burpees, all sorts of stuff to get the blood pumping and the heart racing to stay awake and to pray because that's what's most important. They just come and give in to their need to sleep. We can also be like this, not necessarily doing something sinful, but neglecting more important things. The study of God's word, intercession, prayer, fasting. Because we choose to do other things, we can often miss out on the most important things. 
But I want to encourage you with this. Don't lose heart. Don't be disappointed in yourselves. Don't be upset. Don't get bent out of shape. It happens. It's going to happen to all of us. Sometimes we're just sleeping. But I believe in this message and through the example of Jesus, he's coming to us as a church once again, as individuals and as families and saying to us, it's time to wake up. Wake up to your king and wake up to prayer because there are important things to be done. And prayer in the midst of suffering and difficult and hard times is a priority. Not other things. Prayer and being at the feet of Jesus is what our king calls us to. So church, in conclusion, prayer and happiness are not always aligned. Prayer in the most difficult times of your lives is sometimes some of the most beautiful prayer. Not because you sound great but because our hearts are bare and rent before the Lord and God hears and a broken and contrite heart is us not despise God's word says. Often in tough times is when we need to be praying the most. Praying in tough times does not always mean that the outcome will change. The father's answer to Jesus to do it another way was no. And because Jesus got a no answer, we will get a no answer at times as well. Prayer does not always change the outcome in difficult times when we pray, but prayer in difficult times always changes us. Prayer should be something we keep on doing regardless of whether the outcome changes or not. Keep going. Keep coming to the feet of the Father. Keep pressing in. We should prioritize prayer as Jesus modeled for us over and over again, remembering the most important things are not the things of this world, but the things of the kingdom of God, the spiritual things that God calls us to. Church, we need to pray, not just in this week of fasting and prayer that's coming up at the end of the month, not just in difficult times, but all the times. And most importantly, when we discern that struggle is ahead, tough times are ahead, we need to rally together to pray and to seek God's face as individuals, as families, and as a church. Prayer should cause us to yield to and accept God's sovereign will in our lives. Prayer should cause us to trust in God always as we draw near to him. And prayer should cause us to learn and grow from our distress and suffering and trying in difficult times. Church, Jesus died that day on Calvary after the experiences of the garden of, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he also rose and he also lives and he's also coming again. So too will you and I die. But because of Jesus and his faithfulness to the Father, you and I will die, but we will also rise again. And we will also live again with him in eternity. So my prayer for us as we go into the rest of this week is continue to pray and draw close to the one who has made all of this good news possible for us. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Christ Jesus, our Savior. May you be blessed. May you be encouraged. And may you hunger and thirst, not only for righteousness, but for prayer as we go into 2022. Bless you. Looking forward to seeing you all soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week.